ideas, inspiration, innovation. This is The Game Changer. And now here's your host, Chickie Fitzgerald. I am so excited today to bring you our guests. They have the most amazing title that I have seen in a long time for their book. It's called My Client is the Devil and Other Myths. So please welcome Mark McKinney and Steve Fedorko. Welcome, guys. Hello. Thank you. So I have to ask, uh, well, first, why don't, why don't you guys each give us a little thumbnail of your background? Mark, uh, we met a couple of months ago in Dallas, and so I have had the privilege of uh, getting to know you uh, professionally, but not so much on the side that led you to write the book. So why don't you give us that thumbnail, and then you can pass the baton to Steve. Perfect. Yes. Uh, yeah, Chicky, um, you you know me as an executive at a company that develops mobile applications. But uh, in my first career, I actually have a doctorate in psychology, and I taught medical school for ten years and practiced for fifteen years. Um, uh-huh. And during that time, learned a lot of uh, different um, approaches to helping people manage. Um, their stress, their issues, uh, such as that. And you can imagine, once you get into the business world, those skills are still applicable. And so I entered into professionals. Yeah, I entered into professional services where you see people all the time uh, dealing with relationships, particularly relationships with their clients. And uh, they have a very similar flavor to uh, people sometimes who have bad marriages, you know, uh, same dynamics are going on. And so just thought it might be worth the writing down some of the psychological and behavioral principles and approaches to help those people um, ha- maintain good relationships with their clients, just like I used to help uh, spouses maintain good relationships. Right, right. Uh, well, it's, it's- Funny that you should mention all of that because uh, my daughter is a second year student getting uh, in a five year master's program in psychology at the University of Warsaw in Poland. And when she first went in, you know, she kind of had this, you know, the dream of of going along the clinical track. Well, two weeks ago, she had her first visit to a psych ward in Warsaw. gotten over that clinical side of things. So uh, she's taken a look at how it could benefit her in, in business. And, you know, I, I have looked back and wished that I had taken psychology courses because I think it would have helped my career. <laughs> and and maybe I wouldn't have got on my own like I am. Anyway, well, Steve, how about you? Well, it's interesting because uh, Mark and I, he started where he, where he started working and we actually met way back in graduate school. We both were very interested in psychology, so we both got our doctorates in psychology. It's interesting you mentioned about the clinical aspect because our program was an experimental program. We both went on to do fellowships to get uh, clinical training and were clinically licensed to practice psychology, but our roots were in uh, research and experimental psychology, so we got an idea about understanding why humans behave and what's behind a lot of what we do. And uh, we crossed paths in our career several times. Uh, we both started in academe, and worked there, and but but quickly found it too compelling in business to go forward with some of the things that were happening, and spent most of our career life there. As Mark said, working in professional services company, everything from um, you know corporate training to marketing, advertising, IT, 
and saw the, some of the same problems about uh, people dealing with others uh, and, and somehow managing their stress in not such great ways. And, and we've done for years impromptu ways of talking with people and helping them coach them through you know, ways to look at how you're dealing with uh, the clients that you have. And we thought it'd be a great idea to actually capture that in the book since we were doing a lot of that for years mm-hmm. anyhow. And, and we enjoy working with each other and uh, we love psychology. So it was a natural extension to put that down and, and then be able to even reach more people that way. Well, absolutely. And, and you know, one of the reasons I created this show, the show actually started uh, with a different name. I, I used to run a group of executive women called the Executive Girlfriends Group. And we got together every Friday at four o'clock and, and, you know, people would actually call in. And for the first couple of months, I just would do a bit of a roundtable, kind of asking people their high points and low points of the week. I find that's a, a really good way to get people to talk about what's really going on instead of the surface stuff. And and then I eventually said, oh, you know what, we need some content to hang these discussions around. So we started having a guest speaker. But the whole point was to give these women uh, a way to come together, and because I, you know, structured it at the end of their week to transition from their business selves back into their personal selves, which for many of us who are workaholics, um, you know, that's really hard. And I think that that compounds our stress. And so this show has always focused on uh, not just talking about the business aspects of life, because you know, we all know that if you have a, a fight with your spouse in the morning and then go into a big meeting, uh, your effectiveness is impacted, right? So, you know, Absolutely. having that emotional, emotional health and, and uh, you know, stress mechanisms to manage that stress, um, you know, needs to be applied on both sides of our life. So, uh, again, if, we've, if everything's great at home and you have a bad day at work, you know, who, who catches that? you know, the family. Yeah. So um, anyway, we'll dive right in because, you know, I'm intrigued by the fact that you start off in, in this book after, you know, a- after giving the background uh, uh, that you've just given us of this concept of if only, which, you know, smacks to me of, of you look first at, at regret, right? Of, of if only I had done this or if only I had said that. And, and then this acknowledgement that, being in the service business, we do have to rely on our clients and our clients don't always behave well, which by the way, if you're a consultant, you actually don't want them to behave well, because they wouldn't need you. Right? But trying, trying to separate the dysfunction from, you know, from, from real problems, you know, I guess is where, where that lies. So, so give us a little bit of background of, of why you chose to open the book this way. Uh, I'll take that one, Steve. Okay. okay and, go ahead, Mark. And, yeah. Sure. Um, so, you know, one of the things that we see, I, Steve and I both saw just anecdotally working in these businesses is that people would often come out of a contentious meeting or a contentious call or such. And, you know, it would be the classic, if only, if only the client would act right. If only I had the magic words to say to make them see my point of view. There was just a lot of, uh, you know, second guessing and a lot of uh, looking back in retrospect and saying, 
oh, if only things would be different. And we really set up the premise that, you know, if only, I think I saw this one time in a Reader's Digest article a long time ago, if only might be the two saddest words in the world, yes. because you you absolutely can't change the past. It, it is what it is. And we extended forward to say, you know, one of the other things is you probably aren't going to change people very much, uh, you know, or circumstances. They are what they are. And really, our book is not about how to convince people to act differently or how to manage your time better. Our book is really about, uh, at least in the first part of it, how to manage yourself better because you really only have that available to you as something you can change. But there's definitely ways to view the world differently that lets you have a much more effective approach. So the if only was really sort of couching that regret that people feel and that little bit of magical thinking people have that somehow or another you can change the world. The world is sort of the world. (laughs) Well, it is. And and I love the quote that you've got at the front of this section. The fundamental cause of trouble in the world today is that the stupid are cocksure while (laughs) intelligent are full of doubt. How true is that? That's a (laughs) Russell. And, you know, I mean, I I certainly have been in many of those meetings that you just described, right, where where you do wish Mm -hmm. that things were different. And and I think that the people who actually do set out to be the game changers, which is, of course, the name of this radio show, is is you do have a different mindset. And I I have a 17-year-old son, and, and I spend a lot of time talking to him about being a victim you know, versus taking control of your life. And and that's mm-hmm. exactly what this is saying is, is that you can sit and play the victim and, and play the if only game or, you know, my mantra, and, and it's funny, you almost use these words, Mark is, you know, it is what it is. And, and mm-hmm. so getting people off of that focus on the past, getting them to make the turn to the present and perhaps look a little bit toward the future. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, so we, we refer to them as our, these pesky clients, but yeah, we really need them, right? And then, then you, you switch focus a little bit, and, and so the next section of the book is, it's not you, it's me. So this is about taking responsibility, right? Yes, and, and, wanna... and uh, sure, I'll jump in there, Mark. Uh, and yep. uh, Chicky, as you probably can see, we open up the book talking about the if-only because people are often at that place. But the chapters flow and follow in that regard or in the regard that we want to build on uh, how we could look at this differently. And so uh, that first, we kind of have three sections in the book, and uh, you're talking about the first one there. And we focus on building personal competencies, how to take care of ourselves, how to understand ourselves, and then move to social competencies in the second section, which is about how do we listen and communicate well, how do we truly understand other people, And then the final section, we look at what we call leadership competencies in terms of how do we innovate? How do we lead by example? How do we know to champion causes and and advocate things we are uh, concerned about? And so right off the bat, and this follows from one of the great metaphors Mark and I use in all our workshops, we start with you've got to take care of yourself. You've got to know yourself. You've got to manage your stress. You've got to prevent stress. And uh, one of our favorite lines came from what you hear in an airplane trip every time, which is, uh, Uh, when they talk about the oxygen masks falling down. They say, by the way, if you're traveling with small children, put your mask on first before you put on your child's mask. Because essentially, if you can't take care of yourself and be in good shape, you're not going to be able to take care of anyone. So we think those first sections 
that first section in those first chapters is fundamental to everything we're doing in the book because you have to start with yourself. Like you mentioned about your own children, being self-reliant, taking care of yourself, don't play a victim. Do what you can do and understand the world's out there and it has lots of things that aren't going to change, but how can you work effectively in that setting? Right, right. Um, I want to just chime in here because <clears throat> anybody who's listened to my show for any length of time knows <clears throat> that I am just a sucker for great book layout. And I think you guys absolutely win the prize. Um, this book is uh, one that you must have a pen. Get a, get a really good pen because good pens feel good when you're writing with them. And also get a highlighter because this book is meant to be used, not just read. And, mm -hmm. and you will find so many practical tips as, as you're going through that really helps you do that self-assessment that Steve just referred to. So, uh, so this whole- Chicky, by the way, thank, thank you for that compliment. And I think Mark and I both appreciate that because there's a lot of work that went into that. And sometimes it looks, things look better the more you put work into it, but it looks like simple but it actually uh, was a lot of hours to think about how that might be useful for oh, the reader. So. I can tell. No, it, it really comes through. And, and you know, there's there's a lot of white space in the book. Uh, some, some books have, uh, in order to pack more into a fewer number of pages, they use really tiny margins. <laughs> but, but these are margins you can write in. And I, I can tell you from all of my years in consulting, I drew a lot on the books that I was reading at the time as I, you know, I, in fact, sometimes I remember walking into a client meeting and I had never met the client and they wanted me to facilitate their advisory board meeting. And it was my first time meeting the client. And I had just read a book about the use of, of improv, um, you know, in the business world and mm -hmm. uh, called the Im improvisation edge. And I read that book on a flight from Las Vegas to Miami and then walked into the client the next morning. And I just used techniques from the book. So a lot of times what I would do is I would, I would write notes about my clients in the book, right? Which for this book yep. is really, really appropriate. So um, why don't you just pick out, I, I know that there's a lot packed into that section. Uh, you know, you, you talk about it being as easy as ABC. What, what, are, mm -hmm. what are the basic components of, of doing that self-analysis and, and what do you walk them through in the exercises there? Yeah, I'll take that one. Um, the ABCs of emotion really come out of uh, cognitive reframing or cognitive behavioral therapy, but it's pretty simple. If you just think of A as being an event, something that happens, maybe your client is, you know, won't provide you information you need, or perhaps they won't sign that contract, or they're questioning whether or not you're doing a good job. A is the event. And C is actually the way you feel about it. And so, you know, in a circumstance like that where you have a client who's maybe accusing you of not doing your work well, you might feel um, ashamed or you might feel angry or you might feel, uh, you know, attacked. But what we really try and emphasize to people is that there's something in between A and C. It's not automatic. So if your client says to you, you're doing a terrible job, you don't automatically have to feel attacked. You don't automatically have to feel angry because in between A and C is B and B are the thoughts you have. And sometimes those thoughts are rapid and uh, well rehearsed. Uh, so, you know, your client says you're doing a terrible job and you might 
run a tape, so to speak, of, wow, I'm not very good, or gosh, I think I failed. And those kind of thoughts, which are sometimes hardly even conscious, uh, lead you to feel ashamed or lead you to feel attacked. But if you can train yourself to have a different sort of uh, process, you can have different feelings where the client says, you know, you're doing a terrible job. And if your thought process is sort of, well, I wonder what he's talking about or, you know, we need to dig in further here or, gosh, you know, I thought it was going well. Let's see where we disconnect. You have a whole different set of emotions. And so really our chapter on the ABCs is uh, helping people to understand those hidden thoughts those kind of self-talks or self-tapes and uh, change them out and have different ones so that you remain competent. It doesn't change the circumstance. The circumstance is what it is, but it changes your emotional reaction to it. And when you're more in control, you're probably more effective. Right. I, I love this whole section on it. It's Greek to me because what, what you're talking about in, in being able acknowledge your emotions. Uh, Back when I was still in corporate life and before I realized I didn't belong there, I had a boss um, who who sent me to what he called corporate charm school. And (laughs) it was actually an uh, American Management Association course. And I was blessed uh, that it was held in Carmel looking over Mm. the Pacific Ocean. And I walked in, you know, feeling like, uh, you know, again, because I, I did realize early on that I was a game changer, right? And and I was mm-hmm. like trying to operate in corporate clothing, which doesn't work really well. And, um, you know, I felt like like no no one really liked me, right? And, and mm-hmm. I, I didn't, I felt like you know, I had a cloud around me. It's just exactly what you're describing, Mark. And and um, I remember the, the people talking about how, you know, I was actually like a, a sunflower. Like I, I brought sunshine into the room when I came into the room. And I thought, now, how is it that they see this? But, but uh, <laughs> on, on this chapter, and on page 61 of the book, there's this list of all of the different emotions that are under mad, sad, and glad. And I remember the instructor uh, bringing out a, a similar list and asking us to break into small groups and to talk about them. And the men were all like, there are this many emotions. <laughs> and the women were, oh yeah, I forgot a few. <laughs> but but that, that self-acknowledgement is really, really critical um, because the next section of the book is all about communication. It's called mm-hmm. Clear Channels. Can you hear me now? Don't be that guy. And you're just like yeah. me. So yep. jump in. I'll jump in a little bit. Go ahead, Steve. We really, yeah. after building on that, uh, taking care of yourself and, and reducing stress, managing your stress, we want to go ahead, like you say, build on under uh, hearing people communicating well and also understanding what's going on. And so, believe it or not, it has a lot to do with just basic listening. People often hear things, but they don't effectively listen in the sense that they don't effectively give back the communication cues that let people know they are listening, you know, and we kind of go through some detail about that in the book. And this all builds on how you can also be assertive when you speak about what you want or what you believe, what you're feeling, not aggressive and not passive. And there's a, there's a fine difference there. And this really facilitates people getting along in communication as well as getting to what we all want to reach, which is that final understanding between people. And there, there are well, tried and true uh, examples and specifics of what people have done to make that happen. And it makes such a difference when you can take that leap. So as we said, 
the whole book builds on take care of yourself first and then being effective with others in a social interaction. And uh, there's a number of techniques we use in there that describe that and help people get that, that uh, ability. Yeah, Chicky, one of, in, as Steve talks about being assertive, uh, we use a little mantra in there, which is, um, you know, we draw the difference between passive, assertive, and aggressive. Really, there are three states, and that, you know, passive people often have the mantra of, when is it my turn? You know, when am I going to get a chance? And aggressive people have the mantra of, it's my turn, it's my turn. And uh, assertive people say things like, let's take turns. And so when you're in an assertive mode, you're not pushing your agenda. You're keeping your agenda forward, but you're very respectful of the other person's agenda, too. And you take turns in communicating your wants and needs. I, I want to bring up one thing because I, I love this section of the book. Um, you know, it begins with a statement by George Bernard Shaw of the single biggest problem in communication is the illusion that it's taken place. And <laughs> so exasperated by our electronic culture and our remote work culture, which by the way, I absolutely hate. I have run my company remotely for 10 years now uh, where I've worked at home. And while I have a, a gorgeous uh, view, I live on a, a very, very peaceful lake and, and you know, it's, it's nice to have the flexibility of being at home. I so crave being in an office and, and we're at a stage in our company where we're about to do that of bringing people back together because uh, I hate managing a company by conference call because you are always talking over each other, even if you don't really mean to. And, you know, I want to go through these, uh, these listening techniques that you talk about and I'm not, you know, we won't go into them in detail, but I just want to, you know, give give a little, taste, mm -hmm. right? like going yeah. into a great restaurant and giving them a taste of your desserts to see if you want it. So active listening techniques, paraphrasing, avoiding interrupting, making eye contact, which is, of course, impossible unless you're, uh, you know, also, yep. doing, uh, you know, uh, uh, video sharing, which I don't like to do. <laughs> um, uh, use obvious body language. Again, since so many of our meetings are by phone, uh, and by conference call, this one is really hard to do. Uh, respond directly, provide complete attention, uh, consider the feelings of others, and, and close respectfully. And I love the, you know, let's take turns, uh, Mark. That That is a really great uh, way. Um, I, I'd like you guys to focus a little bit, though, on the don't be that guy, you know, because we are talking about the client being the devil, uh, by the way, and we haven't really focused much on that. But this is really where it comes in. My client's a jerk. Right. What do mm -hmm. I do about that? You want to talk about that, Steve? Uh, and, and this is about the Myers-Briggs, which is a test that's not even psychologically validated, but is very popular. <laughs> people talk about it constantly and use it. And people refer to what type of Myers-Briggs personality they are, individual, even before we bring it up. And so we've looked at that as kind of just a catalyst to let us discuss the basic premise we're making, which is, Everybody's a little different. Everybody takes information differently. Some people are extroverted. Some people are introverted. Some people think abstractly. Some people think very concretely. And if you go into a social situation where you're communicating with your team or your client and you don't become aware of or recognize those differences in people, then you can have a lot of trouble in terms of understanding what they're trying to say or do because they have a different style than perhaps you do. So our whole thing about the chapter is don't be that guy you 
that ignores everybody else's different styles. And uh, over the years, and Chickie, I'm sure you've been in the same situation, you've seen people that have a lot of valuable things to contribute and to, to say, but maybe they're very introverted. And so you, you have to work with them differently because they're thinking about what they is uh, what they're going to say and what's important to them. And they speak very little compared to say right. Mark or I, or even yourself. And, uh, and it's, it's this recognition of differences in people's styles of communication, understanding that we bring home the point of uh, keep this in mind and think about how people process information and interact differently. Right. And, you, you know, I remember Steve doing an interview and I forget the name of the book, but I interviewed a woman who talked about introverts in business and I'm clearly an extrovert. Right. Um, but in certain situations, like in group situations, if I walk into, uh, you know, a, a networking mixer, I am absolutely on the opposite uh -huh. of the spectrum. I hate that environment, right? Uh -huh. but, but when she talked about how introverts think and how introverts react and respond, I was shocked because I realized how many people I had looked at, whether in my own organization you know, or in client organizations and, and really thought less of them because of the fact that they didn't interact. But those of us who were type A's and, you know, the ENTJs and uh, yep. that, that type <laughs> of personality in the Myers-Briggs methodology, we don't stop long enough to let them get a word in edgewise. So how could they contribute? <laughs> it, uh, yeah, you know, we, we were often the same thing. <laughs> oh, go ahead, Steve. I'm sorry. No, I just say, you know, my children said that same thing because I'm kind of in that same boat, do a lot of talking. Go ahead, Mark. <laughs> yeah. So really the trick here is that uh, we, we put that in to have people understand you can't guess at another person's motives. You can see their behaviors, right. but you can't assume that the motive behind John's behavior or Mary's behavior is the same as it would be if it were me. If I'm sitting in a meeting with my arms folded quietly, I'm probably irritated about something. However, John, our mythical introvert, might be simply listening, taking it in, and processing. And so the mistake here is the one of assuming everybody else is like you and is motivated like you. So, you know, we encourage people to understand that behaviors are not necessarily motivations. Absolutely. And, Chicky, not, not to lose the point also about we're talking about introvert, extrovert, and that is, that's just one of several dimensions upon which people yeah. can vary differently from time to time. And right. you mentioned for selfie and TJ and the J versus the P dimension. And I don't even want to limit this to Myers-Briggs because there's many dimensions. But some people like to jump in right away and start with things and course correct and, and figure it out as you go along. And other people are more like the J's who like to, let's think about this, make out a plan. What are the right. steps? And, and if you're working on a team and those are the two people, you better come to some agreement about how you have a different style to approach the challenge because you'll be at, you'll be at a... <laughs> opposing strategies in terms of how you deal with it. Right. And, you know, it's so funny because I, I did a lot of that instinctively when I was a consultant. I didn't have the classical training that you guys have in this. And and like I said, now, you know, at 60, I kind of wish I had done that because I would have been a better consultant. I certainly would have been, been a better employee and team member. Uh, and, and now as I look at where I am with leading uh, a, a tech company, right, and, and 
fairly early stage as compared, for instance, to the company that Mark works for, but but still not not a startup. But we have got a lot of challenges uh, that are very similar. I mean, every, everything in this mm-hmm. book, you know, I can read it with one set of eyes when I'm looking at external clients, and I can read it with another set of eyes when I'm reading it about my own team members. And I, I, I think that gives us a good bridge into the last section of the book, which is called Extra Credit, and has uh, the quote from Marcel Prost, of, the only real voyage of discovery consists in not seeking new landscapes, but having new eyes. And, and that's really what you just described, Steve, of, of seeing things through other people's eyes and putting behind our um, preconceived notions. And uh, I'll tell just one other quick story. Uh, I worked for a very large travel technology company based in Dallas, Texas. Uh, you can guess who, who that would be. Uh, and, and I worked for a woman who was very, very bright. Um, I didn't realize until much later in life uh, when she and I actually were business partners that she was um, very, very introverted. Uh, she had a very close-knit group, which made her look like she was elitist, right? But but that wasn't the case at all. She just found the people she was comfortable with, and that was it. But it made everybody else feel like that they weren't part of that inner circle. Uh, and she also had a habit of uh, no matter what you submitted to her, and back then we submitted things in writing, right, because we didn't have email. Mm-hmm. And yep. She would write in tiny little letters in the margins, and and it, she just felt it was her job to critically assess everything, right? And critical assessment, not in being critical, right? But critical mm-hmm. assessment right? as mm-hmm. a methodology. And I, I years later, I left and went to a competitor uh, of that company that was uh, based in Atlanta. Very different culture. Uh, that company was owned by by Delta uh, Northwest. Mm-hmm way and Delta had a really strong influence culturally on the company and they're very family. You know, when you call Delta to make a reservation, you know, somebody say, well, how's your mama and them? You know, whereas on Northwest, it's all business. <laughs> but, but my boss, after about two months, uh, I, I would get up and, and his office was right next to mine and I would get up and I would sit in his office and, and talk to him and he'd say, Chicky, you do know that you can actually send me stuff because by that time there was email. Right. And and uh, and I I realized that my fear of that criticism was coloring this new relationship. So here I was on a new journey with a new company, new opportunities. But I was seeing that new opportunity with the old eyes. Yeah. Wow. Well, Steve, you know, that last section um, is probably one that you have a a tremendous passion for. Maybe you could just talk a little bit about uh, that leadership competency. Sure. And uh, in that last section, Chicky, we we focus on a couple of things. One, mindfulness, and also uh, a concept called psychological hardiness, which has been in the research for 20, 25 years. And both of these, although somewhat different, tend to focus on increasing our emotional uh, intelligence. And mindfulness has a lot to do with being a lot more creative. And, and Chicky, as you mentioned, in your new work environment, you're still carrying some of the old um, habits that had worked for you and that maybe had been a, 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 a result of you working in those environments. And mindfulness is a lot about uh, uh, taking a look at things in a new way, you know, considering other points of view, creating and using new categories to put things in, and it, it, Mark and I used to use the expression all the time in the workshops about 
the expression, if it isn't broke, don't fix it, you know. And uh, But really, it challenges that idea because maybe we should break those things that are working for us because we won't get to innovation if we don't do that. Oh, so we absolutely. spent some time in one, 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 on that chapter on mindful ways to look at things. I know a lot of terms today are used. Mindfulness has a lot to do with uh, meditation and, and relaxing, which are great stress management techniques. But early on, several decades ago, mindfulness was talked about in this way of actively trying to look at things in different ways and techniques to do that. The psychological hardiness part was uh, researched years ago with strong uh, numbers of data from people looking across different occupations and showing that people that have a uh, strong level of commitment, and a strong level of control, and a strong level of um, um, challenge, looking at problems as challenges rather than as problems, tend to do a lot better in relationships with others and achieving their own things. And so can't explain the whole theory here, but it's really a fundamental part of how we drive what we do in the book and, and in the workshops also in letting people know that this lifestyle of a psychologically hardy person leaves you very well prepared to deal with not only your clients, but even anyone else you deal with in your life and also how you feel about yourself. Right. And, you know, uh, as I mentioned in the kind of the introduction, uh, when we were talking about, um, oh, and now, now my neighbor has decided to begin cutting branches off of her tree. Here, <laughs> buzzing in the background. That's what it is. Um, anyway, uh, I, I was talking about, um, you know, how, how we are, are multidimensional as people. And, and I, I can't help but think as we look through these things about being a mindful manager, it, it also will help you. There are many things in this chapter that will help you be a mindful parent and a mindful spouse and a mindful friend, right? And, and so it's one of the things I love about this book. So um, we, we are uh, running up against uh, our, our time today, and I want to be uh, respectful of your time. So let, let's talk just a little bit about change, which you address here in this section, and also the section on pay it forward. Yeah. Um, you know, so the whole idea of the book is uh, you're in control of the things you're in control of. And that's yourself and your feelings. That's how you communicate and how you set a tone to work with your clients and about how you uh, see the world, whether you are a hearty person or whether you're a mindful person or you're not. So, you know, one of our themes is you can change. Just because you haven't been doing this previously doesn't mean these aren't learnable skills. Uh, we often say, some things are beyond our scope. I hear Steve all the time say he's not going to be able to throw a pass in the NFL. That's yeah. probably true. But these skills, fortunately, are, are easily learned by just about anybody if you just put the time and effort into it. So you can change yourself for sure. We do it all the time, and you know we encourage that learning. And in that last uh, chapter of Paying It Forward, we reveal that uh, dirty little secret that this isn't just about clients. It's also yeah. about your home relationships and your friend relationships and all of that. So, you know, uh, you can become a much better client uh, manager or a much better account director. But you, like you said, Chicky, you can become a much better friend. You can become a much better spouse. Uh, but it all comes down to what are you willing to examine and change about yourself? 
Right. Yeah. And Ch- Chicky, I've got to add something to what Mark uh, just said, and I totally agree. And we get feedback from people that we do the workshops with, and also people just read the book on their own. And we kind of planned it this way also. Our book is not a strict blueprint or formula that you follow everything that turns out that way. We put a lot out there as an offering. And as you can suspect, people respond to different parts of it and in their own way. And so, you know, at the end of a workshop day or something, people come up and say, you know, I followed that and I followed you there, but this really fits for me and I'm going to try that. So our goal is not to say, here's 50 things, do them all. But it's like, you know, here's a number of things. People have found this kind of success with it. Which works best for you or which would you try first? So it's kind of been very rewarding to see people take a look at all that we offer and present there and pick some things they start with, see some success, and maybe try something else. So it's, uh, it's, it's very personalized in that regard in terms of the work we do. Right. And as I mentioned earlier, this is a book that you want to have, uh, you know, a pen in hand. And in fact, now I'm going to revise that. You need to go to your favorite office supply store or go on Amazon and buy a set of colored pens. Right. And (laughs) and use one when you're making notes to yourself about the personal side so that you can go back and scan it later, because this book then becomes kind of a living uh, resource for you. And if you are in a particularly difficult situation, I think you will find the answers here. And, uh, and that very good. Greatly. I, I, Chicky, I have to add this to answer to that. You know, when Mark and I first wrote this book, we published it only as paper, you know, the old fashioned books are in paper, like you're talking about making notes uh, in. And we haven't even released the ebook yet. And we've had a lot of success with this just as a paper book. When we give a workshop, we show up and everyone gets a free copy of the book. And there's still that magic that comes with a printed book, even though we live in a digital age and you've embraced it. Mark and I have too, clearly. But people hold on to this book and they do make notes in it or they they don't uh, just toss it away. I, I couldn't imagine at the end of a workshop passing out, you know, 30 or 40 thumb drives with an ebook on it and people would have the same regard for it as they would as having this paper book in their hand. So oh, we're not old fashioned, right. but it I, just fits there. Mm-hmm. Well, guys, this has been really amazing. And again, this book is just chock full of incredibly practical tips. So even if you aren't a consultant or in the service industry, Uh, I highly recommend this book. My Client is the Devil and Other Myths. We've been talking to Mark McKinney and Steve Fedorko. Thank you guys so much for your time today. Thank you, Chickie. Really appreciate it. Yes. And again, I think that this book is uh, really foundational to changing your game. If, If you don't like where you are, Quite often, it's because you go wherever you go, right? And it does start with you. And and this book is a great first step in in solving your own issues of how you look at things, and uh, and then helping others. You know, once you're equipped with that. And again, I love uh, Steve the the analogy about the oxygen. Uh, this book is oxygen to your business life and and uh, your personal life. So you can quote me on that, by the way. <laughs> Perfect. Thank we might you. Just do that. And Chicky, if I can just add for people that would be interested, the book's available at myclientisthedevil.com. And so right now that's probably the easiest place to get it if people were interested. And excuse the pitch, but people often ask. And so I thought I'd add that. 
And if, if they would like to talk to you guys about uh, this workshop that you have alluded to multiple times, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Uh, the emails are on the, uh, the website, and we are uh, psychologists, not technicians, so it's a very humble website, uh, but it does have information there about how to contact us and also procure the book if you'd like to. So that's at uh, um, myclientisthedevil.com. Perfect. That makes it easy. Well, thank you guys again. And uh, I just really encourage those of you who have been listening today to uh, go out and get a copy of the book, uh, order it. Uh, you certainly can do it electronically. I think that there are some interesting ways that you guys could do uh, some of these exercises, uh, you know, in an, in an electronic form. But uh, I highly recommend getting the physical book uh, and just curling up with a great cup of coffee or a good glass of wine and uh, pens in hand and go to it. Thank you guys so, so much and have a super weekend. Chicky, thank you so much and you too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You've been listening to The Game Changer. Ideas. Inspiration. Innovation. With Chicky Fitzgerald. Thank you.